Raw Not Research, Real Life Stories. I was still struggling to get the money. I was still wondering, was I fit enough? Could I manage it? Could I take the cold? Um, I had a lot of doubt, even though I believed in the idea. Um, yeah. If you can square that circle. Um, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I, there was so much doubt and I didn't want to put it out there because I knew once I put it out there, it's something that I had to do. Otherwise, people would see me as a failure or I'd be just that guy that says it but never does it. And I didn't want to be that. So I... Or the guy that says it and doesn't, that starts it but doesn't, doesn't make it. Doesn't finish it. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that. So I put it off for a while and eventually I plucked up the courage to contact the newspaper, uh, uh, Hackney Gazette, I think it was. Yeah. And the very first uh, article that went out, it said something along the lines of ex-gang member. And I thought, I've never been in a gang. Never, yeah. I've never been in a gang. Um, and it's the media, Dwayne. They've got to I've make it to sound interesting. I've come to understand. But um, that was the first thing. And then my phone rings. And my friend who, and I was ready for an argument. I was ready for people to tell me I'm an idiot for doing it and I'd lose this, that and the other. And this bit of me would fall off and how it was a stupid idea. And it's not what black people do. And it's not what people from my area does. And it's not our thing. I was ready for all of that. So when my friend called me, and he's like, bruv, are you climbing the North Pole? The first I said, well, first of all, idiot, you don't climb the North Pole. So I was, I was, I was in that. My frame of mind was very defensive. And I think the first three or four phone calls that I got about it, I approached yeah. it with that frame of mind, which was very defensive. And I was very ready to attack because I felt like everyone would attack me. And for the most part, every, people that called up did say, ah, oh, you know, you know, you're going to die. People don't do that. We don't. And I was like, well, all of this, all of these voices was making it more resolute in my mind that I needed to do this to prove them all wrong. What's your, What's life, your story? life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews, where you'll discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful world. Raw, not researched, real life stories with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. Uh, today I am presenting to you the amazing uh, Dwayne Fields. And for those of you that don't know him yet, you need to go check him out. He is He's genuinely an inspiration, this guy. I mean, he started with nothing. He started on the wrong side of the tracks and he has just literally uh, made his life amazing. He has actually just been the master of his destiny. And when I say the wrong side of the tracks, I mean, I'm talking homeless at a certain point. Um, and here he is now. Uh, on television, he's climbing mountains, he's he's a real explorer um, and he's going out there and really um, changing lives and it's just, yeah, I really uh, look forward to clicking into this conversation in a minute with you. Before I do, uh, share the show with friends, guys, I always say this, um, but it's important, you know, uh, sharing the show really changes lives because people 
need to hear stories, especially people who, um, yeah, who need a little bit of a motivation, need a little bit of inspiration, need a little bit of a kick, need a little bit of um, help and support and just a little bit of mirroring in their life, you know, where they don't have to look at their own life as such a, um, yeah, you know, that they got the, the end of the bad end of the stick, so to speak, you know. So many people um, go through hardship. In fact, most people go through hardship and these stories really just show how to turn it around, you know, just like Dwayne, who you're going to hear in a minute. So share this show on with friends and go check us out on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, although YouTube's not such a such a busy uh, platform for me at the moment because I'm focusing mostly on the podcast. But yeah, definitely go onto Instagram. I'm very busy there. It's sort of my... Um, yeah, my current affairs uh, on on the show. And yeah, I, I share what's going on in my life with you guys. So you also get to know about me and who I am. And um, yeah, uh, on the website, if you go subscribe once a week, you'll just receive a super cool life story in your mailbox, which is also then easy to share, you know, with yeah, even your mom or your dad, you know, who's sitting at home at the moment, not able to go anywhere, go out because of Corona. You know, these stories are super cool and they're evergreen and they're for all ages because they're just life stories. Um, and then, uh, yeah, those of you guys needing an interviewer, I do interviews for organizations and yeah, I can help you with that. So if you need someone, you want someone to help you with a talk show, I can also help you with talk shows, um, live talk shows as well, or obviously online or, or TV or whatever you need. And also if you're needing someone to help you just, you know, get a little bit of a grip on your own life story, I can do that for you guys. I'm an NLP master coach and I do do this on the side. Um, so if you need someone to just help you a little bit, then send me an email and I can send you a quote on, you know, what it is that you need. And yeah, I'll make it reachable for you because I really want to help people. And, you know, these stories are helping people. But if you need a little bit of one-on-one -on -one attention and just really want to dig deep into your own story, um, then I can help you there. So let me know. So guys, without any further ado, let's give a warm cyber welcome for Dwayne. It's Fields. so weird we're having this conversation actually because yeah. it just crossed my mind. Yeah. And then I thought, but maybe also because we had a previous conversation where you told me you're 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 on location and it's a secret and you can't tell yeah. um, anybody. But then you know, then I thought, well, it's funny with your Instagram. Perhaps you wanting to like your what you're wanting to communicate with your audience is very much sort of a positive mindset so very much a, a motivational platform in a way absolutely always jen the truth is i i i'm trying to communicate the kind of things that i wanted to see when i was feeling at my lowest Okay. Um, and I don't know if we're getting too far into it already or if this is the direction you need to go in, but this is yeah, I reckon this is gonna be about the time we're gonna come in and you know start yeah, saying yeah. who the yeah. hell is Dwayne Fields? I'm trying to I'm <laughs> trying to restrain myself and just go with you. <laughs> no, but 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 no, but on that note, right, exactly. So I mean that's actually a beautiful place to come in is what you're trying to communicate is what you wanted to have when mm -hmm. you were um, in low places yeah. and probably also when you were younger. So now this is me filling it in, right? Because yeah. so, so guys, everyone listening right now. So what I know about Dwayne field, so Ed Stafford introduced me to Dwayne. Thanks Ed. 
um, if you're listening right now, because, uh, you know, Dwayne, when we connected the first time, just for that five minute, just introductory break the ice call, I just loved your energy. You have an amazing open-hearted, positive energy, which which is then what I feel, and I've only just met you. So tell our listeners and tell me, like, who's Dwayne? Give us sort of the natural version, and then we're going to go into, into depth. Who's Dwayne? Dwayne is a, <laughs> Jen Hai. First of Hi. all, oh, thank you. You've got a very warm spirit as well. Um, who's Dwayne? <laughs> Dwayne's just um, an average guy that, has the opportunity to do some extraordinary things and go to some amazing places and see things. But um, that's one side of who Dwayne is. The other side is that Dwayne's just a big kid who sees the whole world as a huge playground. Um, Dwayne is the same little kid who used to run around in the woods in the forest in Jamaica near where I lived as a kid when I was six years old, five years old, four years old even, and younger. Um, I'm someone who just believes that everyone should have a fear go at it everyone should have um the opportunity to see things and to be the best version of themselves and that's fundamentally who who i am i think i'm someone who just wants if everyone could be confident within themselves and i say that because i wasn't always confident in myself Mm -hmm. and um i know how it made me feel and i know how it held me back and i know how it put limitations on what i imagined i could do um, just that one thing, just having some confidence in yourself. So for yeah. me, Dwayne is just someone that wants to demonstrate that actually, look, it's okay. Wherever you're from, whoever you are, whatever you do, you know, you can do great things or, or you can experience great things because there's a difference there, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and I get to experience some amazing places, amazing people and, and amazing experiences. So um, that's who Dwayne is. Dwayne just wants to be something of an example to anyone who's feeling down on their luck or maybe a little bit down and out. Yeah. So let's, I mean, how are you? So, you know, it's like everyone in life, they they want to bring something to their, you know, to to, to contribute to society. And and we all choose a different a different vehicle to do that. So for example, with me, I'm doing that through the podcast show, right? Sharing people's stories. This way I'm, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, mm-hmm. um, but I'm doing it through sharing other people's stories and sort of letting people in a bit on my life, but I'm using this platform to do it. So now this is a good yeah, time to tell us exactly how you're doing it. What vehicle are you using mm-hmm. to to bring this across on your life journey? Gosh, um, I think the vehicle I'm using is I, I'm using the outdoors. I'm using the vehicle of adventure. I'm using the vehicle of um, social media as much mm-hmm. as I can. It's about just saying, you know, play my role. Like you said, we're doing the exact same thing. We're both working, doing our little bit within the society to make the society work and tick that little bit better, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Every ant in a colony has a different role and the ant has to, fulfill that role otherwise it's no use and i think that's what every individual within society has to do as well um my vehicle that's a that's a loaded or a tricky question because my vehicle is it's just me doing doing what other people have done for hundreds of years um and just using my past experiences to say actually this is a good road to go down you can do this too if you're somebody who didn't know where your place was in life try this one Mm. if you're somebody who's been told that you'll never amount to anything then try this one. My vehicle is demonstration. I think my vehicle is 
doing it uh, and showing other people what it's like while you're doing it and what it looks like when it's finished and hoping that they'll get something from it as well. They'll get some direction. They'll get some insight or maybe a little inspiration from it. Yeah. But in layman's terms, and uh, you know, if you were explaining to a child, then mm-hmm. you would tell the child because, <laughs> to be honest, yeah. I have no idea what you do. Remember, my right. show's oh, completely re- not researched, completely raw. So, okay. so um, you know, I went onto your website and I saw this amazing image of you mm-hmm. on a mountain, and mm-hmm. and then I was like, okay, I'm not even going to go any further <laughs> because if I go deeper into yeah. the story, I'm going to know what you do. But I can see you're an adventurer, and obviously, by default, if it's connected through ed then i'm thinking there's a link right so so you're an adventurer or how would you define yourself uh i'd say i'm more of an explorer actually um explorer yeah i think i think that term there works better for me because i'm not going at this from look at me i know everything about the world i'm going to take on the world with expertise and I'm a mountaineer and I'm a, you know, an ultra distance marathon runner or I'm super strong or I'm a great swimmer. Or a duck. I'm going at this saying I'm an average Joe and I'm taking on these challenges because I think there's something in this. If I can complete this, I've got a story to tell. And then while telling my story, I'm hoping people hear it and say, well, actually, if that guy can go and do that, then maybe I can go and do it too. Yeah. And yeah. through that medium, I'm thinking maybe they'd develop a passion for the world that we live in the same that I've got. Yeah. So there, yeah, the two questions that came up in what, in what you just said, but mm-hmm. um, you say to, to develop a passion for, for the world that we live in. Yeah. Um, why is, why is that so important to you? Do you come from a place then because you also referred to the darkness and, you know, and the fact that, or not darkness, but when you were really down. So mm-hmm. um, have you been in a place then, like really where you've been so down and yeah. you needed to to get out of that? Because it, I'm hearing this contrast in you the whole time. I think my whole life's a massive contrast, actually. Um, if you think back to where I was born and where I spent my earliest years, it was in a rural part of Jamaica. The first environment that I became accustomed to were uh, fields and forests, the outdoors, woodland areas. And then to contrast that, I moved to London, which is a huge city. It's a built up area. Um, So that's the contrast. When I was really down was, and that's part of the story of my, you know, low self-confidence initially. It was about coming to here, coming to, to, to the UK as a kid and not knowing how things here worked because I'd never watched TV. I'd never, um, we never had electricity. We never had uh, uh, running water or, or gas come into the house. Yeah. Um, we had to gather our water in the morning and bring it to the house so we'd have water for the day. Um, that's the kind of world that I was coming from. So the complete contrast is being able to switch on a light switch and having a light turn on or switch on a, a tap, turn on a tap and having water. I couldn't make friends because obviously I didn't watch TV, so I couldn't have a conversation with other kids about what the best TV shows were, the best cartoon characters. Um, I never had seen a magazine in my life, so I didn't know how to tell talk to kids about uh, superhero comic books or whatever comic books they read. Um, yeah. I found it really hard to make friends, whereas in Jamaica, locally, I, I had loads of friends. I knew all the neighbours. I had... Um, uh, I, I, I tell this story all the time. I had a pet pig... A 
cat, a dog. I had birds in my pocket. So I, you know, yeah. I was I was yeah. from a world which is completely contrast to the world here. Where when I first came here, I remember I climbed a tree once and I took a squirrel from its nest, the baby squirrel from its nest because that's the world that I was accustomed to. It was normal behavior for a kid. If you wanted a pet, you'd go out and find a pet. Mm. And I remember I came down out the tree and everyone was so disgusted by the thing that I'd just done. I'd just taken this baby from the nest. Um, and at the same time, I couldn't put it back because they said the mother would, would reject it. So that's the mm. contrast to everything that I knew. Um, further along now, I was this really good kid who, I was a very positive person. And when I moved to East London, I realized that the kid that I was, the person that I was, I would very quickly become a victim if I tried to maintain that. Yeah. By that I mean, yeah. I had to almost take on the behaviors of people around me in order to fit in because I knew what it felt like not to fit in. I knew what it felt like not to have friends. So I almost took on all the behaviors and the expectations of people around me to make sure that I did fit in and I didn't stand out and I wasn't the outsider. So that was a wow. contrast to the person I was there was a, this conflict internally. Um, later to that, it's I, 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 when I was homeless, I, it was, it, you, you mentioned darkness. That was probably the darkest time. I thought there was no hope. So when I'm doing things now, I'm doing it from the standpoint of trying to give a little bit of hope and trying to give a little bit of excitement and trying to give a little bit of adventure and saying, well, actually, look, doesn't matter that you didn't start out here. It's okay. You can still end up here <laughs> or that mountain it's it, it, it's a physical barrier. It's a physical challenge ahead of you. But actually, it's the same thing we all go through in life, isn't it? We have these mountains yeah. to climb within life. And sometimes that's overcoming an internal struggle. And I think the mountains for me now are, are, are literal and symbolic. Yeah. So, so th and that's where you are, the explorers. So you literally and physically, um, and you're doing this through a television medium, right? So Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're pretty well known, certainly in the UK, I believe, right? Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I think you, you can probably deem yourself pretty well known when, when people like Ed are happy to talk to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a proper down to earth guy, but, um, it, it was it was it was like wow I feel like I'm making progress now in Stafford mm. I've watched this guy do some things on TV and push himself to literally push himself to breaking point yeah so for me it's like okay um, I must be doing something right but also it's um, I, I say explorer because I'm I think an explorer learns as they're going along they have yeah. some base knowledge and they build on that as they're going through a journey. Whereas an adventurer, yeah. it's like, okay, that's the challenge. That's the thing I'm taking on. I'm going to use sure. everything that I know to take on that thing. So I, I do prefer the term, or I do, I, I like, I like the term explorer. Yeah. Well, I, it, I hear it. It gives you, it gives you sort of that free reign to, to give yourself the space to see what happens without putting too much pressure on yourself. Exactly. So. Exactly right. I mean, one of the things that I do is, especially when I talk to young people. I make sure I, you know, really push home the point that it's not that I'm an expert in any particular field. I have some outdoor survival skills. I have some cold weather survival skills. I have some uh, climbing ability. I have some, I, I have all these bits and pieces stuck onto my character and stuck onto my skill set. Um, and it's about utilizing those while I'm learning. 
Yeah. And it's important to remind people that this isn't this isn't something that you have to be an absolute expert in all the time in all aspects of it, because that can push people away. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like I was saying yesterday, I was on a podcast actually for someone in the States and he was asking me the questions this time. So but but you know, that's what I he was talking about what sort of guests I have on my show. And, you know, I said, Well, actually I, I have famous and non famous guests mm-hmm. and it's very strategic because I like to I, I find sometimes if um if people are famous, well everyone wants to hear their story, at the end of the story there's always this gap, right, where people then always say, well, wow, that's such a cool story and it's sort of, you know, candy for the ear to listen to their story. Hmm. But they're not always necessarily left with a sense of, okay, I can do that too because the gap's so big. It's so good that you said that because that's that's exactly the feeling I want people to be left with when they read this story about me or watch something on Insta or watch something on TV. Mm. Wherever it is they've come across me, I want them to leave thinking, well, actually, if that guy can do it, I think I can do it too. Yeah. Or I, I want to paint the picture in such a way that they understand, and it's not me trying to tell them, it, that they understand that this isn't as far from where they are as they, as it, it might first appear. Mm. How How does... Fame, do you think then? Oh gosh! Um, like, how does that? I mean, I never, I, I never, I've never asked anyone, or even Ed this or anyone, but I'm just curious because of this conversation yeah. we're having. I'm thinking about it, but like, how? I wonder how that has a negative impact on on the bigger goal that maybe it is mm-hmm. on a sort of soul filled level that you're here to achieve. Um. So I, I'm, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to add a caveat. Cool. I don't feel like I'm famous um, per se, but okay. I, I know some of the challenges that I faced as a result of having some notoriety. Um, so, for example, I'm a very, very private person. I'm a mm-hmm. very, I'm, I'm very much an introvert, if you'd believe it. Um, when I walk into a building, my first instinct is look around, see who's there and find a corner to go and sit in. Yeah. Um, that's my first instinct. When I go out with my other half and the kids, um, oh, I've been out with my other half and the kids and I, I get almost anxious because I like to see everything that's going on before everything sees me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's um, just built into me from a kid or it's something I've learned through my teen years, but I like to walk into an environment, have a look around, spot all the risks, spot all the dangers. Um, and I remember a really anxious moment, and it's happened a couple of times. This 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 was the first time it happened. I walked into, we were in a restaurant, um, mm-hmm. just a takeaway restaurant, and I walked in, I sat down, and... I felt this sense of vulnerability because this guy mm. walked up and it was, it was a guy and I think it was two women or a guy and two women and another guy. And he walked up, he said, you're that guy that did that thing. And I know it sounds so small and meaningless, but that person recognized me before I saw them come in. Mm. And I had this overwhelming sense of vulnerability as a result of it. And now I find myself sitting down face in the room so I can see everyone approaching. So I think that's a limitation to a degree, isn't it? Um, And also I think when you get to a certain point, um, people start critiquing what you know and what you don't know. 
probably sure. more so what you don't know. So it kind of means that you as an individual have to beat home that drum to say, I actually don't know this. You have to almost go out there and tell the world what you don't know. So there isn't that got you or caught you out moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think one thing that we see see often is people are actively, especially on social media, um, it, they've got this corridor into your in, into your life mm. and it's almost a direct link. And I think they feel sometimes because they have that corridor, they can reach out to you and tell you, give you their opinion. Mm. And sometimes that's a good thing. Often it's a bad thing because mm. you are not allowed not to know anything in the field that you've chosen, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, sure. So you always either, and, and sometimes it's really difficult. So um, recently... Recently, I, I decided to become a mountain leader in the UK, which means I had to go on a course. Mm-hmm. And there's that added pressure of, you do mountains, Duane, so you must pass this course. Yeah. That, do, do you know what I mean? So the, wow. that, yeah. um, I did pass the course. I'm really happy I passed the course. But it's almost like saying you have to have this piece of paper to certify you. I've done things in the outdoor with other people. Um, I'm confident and competent in the outdoors but I need this, needed this certification and now I have it, but there was that added pressure. So I think with notoriety and with some fame comes a huge amount of pressure to say, you have to be good at the thing that you do. Um, And I don't think that's the case because again, I'm, I'm learning along this journey and I'm trying to bring as many people on this journey as I can. Um, So being the person that knows everything Mm. or sometimes being portrayed as the person that knows everything, it, it makes you a bit conscious of, other people's thoughts and it makes you almost want to step back and say actually guys look I don't know everything I'm learning just as much as you I know I'm starting from a position of some knowledge and I'm building yeah. on that and you almost almost always have to qualify that um so that's one of the pressures as well sure so let's let's talk about exactly then so first of all what I want to know is why did you guys come Why well, I say come because I used to be in, in, in London as well, but why did you move to London? So we moved to London because my mum was actually born in London. Okay. My, my, my grandma was living in London um, and she gave birth to my mum there. Uh, she died a few years later and my mum was living backwards and forwards between London and Jamaica and she eventually settled in London before mm-hmm. I was born. Um, I, was the, I was the product of a short relationship Okay. Uh, in Jamaica while my mum was over there and y- you know just life happened my older sister ended up coming to London before I did and then my great-grandmother got really old really quickly so yeah. between her and my mum they decided that I would I would come to London as well um there wasn't any okay. big you, you know my my I remember being a kid and hearing stories about London and all that it entailed, which were the streets paid with gold and London. Everyone talked about England as if it's this be all and end all. And that's where you can go and, you know, make a real life and send money back home. And that was very much the culture at the time. So for yeah. me, it was, and I remember thinking, I have no interest in there. I have everything I need right here in yeah. within, within, you know, 200, 300 meters of my house. I've got everything I need um, thinking with my child mind, but um I also had these big expectations. People would say things in Jamaica as a kid, like, who do you think I am? The queen of England. So you always attributed this okay. England with this place that's up there. It's, 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 it's foreign. It's up there. It's great. They, mm. they refer to the queen of England as if 
this is a great person. It's almost, yeah. who do you think I am? I don't have money. Am I the Queen of England type thing? Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting, actually, that you're talking about this because I just watched a stand-up uh, with Trevor Noah. You must oh, know yeah, Trevor yeah. Noah. And I don't know if you've watched a stand-up on Netflix, but it's it's really, it's it's very cool. It's super profound. Yeah, I do um, like Trevor and, Noah. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And Because, uh, uh, you know, I'm South African. Yep, picked it up. Oh, you've okay. got a great accent. <laughs> never lost it in the like 20 odd years I've not don't been living in the country don't lose it I wish I still had my Jamaican accent it comes back when I when I go out there it comes back after a couple of days yeah it does right yeah. when you when when you're when you're back in your in your tribe then it yeah really, uh, yeah it but anyway so Trevor talks about you know because we're the whole conversation of um you know um the the Brexit and and all these things, but you need to watch that. It's really funny and okay. um, yeah. Mm. But um, so the the so you you moved here because okay, it was sort of a straightforward thing. Your mom could probably find work easier than in England, I imagine. Yeah, so um, there are more opportunities here. Far more yeah. opportunities. Yeah. So I heard you say homeless. Like, just give me then. Okay a nutshell version of what your timeline is till today from when you moved to England. Okay. So we moved to England. I was, it was just before my seventh birthday, um, maybe yeah. a month, two months before my seventh birthday. Um, mm -hmm. I struggled through primary uh, infant school. Um, primary school got a little bit better. I moved, we then moved from North London. We moved to, to, it was also North London, but we moved to East, uh, further east which was Hackney Stoke Newington in Hackney um mm -hmm. I struggled through much of my teens teen years um my mum I actually left home a couple of times I left okay. home when I was about 15 16 for a couple of weeks I then yeah. left home again when I was about 18 uh, I went back a year and a half later and then my mum kicked me out the house when I was about 20 21 years old and um yeah. yeah about 20 21 years old and i i remember i literally had the bag on my back and a bin bag a black plastic bag um with some clothes in it and i spent the first couple of nights in a hotel in in an area called frinsby park um mm -hmm. they were really cheap hotels they're the only things i could afford and yeah. the, the the few pounds i had ran out and I remember riding the bus for a couple of days. So I think I, uh, I walked around during the day and then I rode the, the night bus all night to the end, jumped on the other side and rode it all the way back again. And I did that for a night. And on the last night that I was homeless, that I spent on the streets, I remember I rode the Central Line, the, the Central Line train and it got to the last stop. It was about, what, 11.30, quarter to 12 at night. And it got to the last stop and... I was absolutely terrified the whole time. So as the train driver gets off the train, he's looking down the train and he goes to press the button for, to close the doors, making sure everyone's off. And just as he presses the button, I jump back onto the train. And when I got on the train and it started moving towards the depot, I started thinking, well, hold on, it's going in the depot. There's going to be people there. Uh, they might be working on the trains because I've worked on the trains previously. Yeah, And um, it just didn't, what I was doing just didn't seem to make any sense. And I remember being in this sense of panic. Anyway, we got into the depot and the train stopped. And I just, I sat on the floor just by the doors because that's where I had the most cover, the most shelter. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember 
falling asleep and waking up to the doors opening and this sense of terror. And as this man stepped on the train, it was this bearded man with a headscarf on and he stepped on the train and he froze and I froze. And he looked at me and I, I was certain he was going to like yell at me and kick me off the train and, you, you know, just be really aggressive. But he paused and he, it felt like we were staring at each other for about 15, 20 seconds in silence. And I remember he looked at me, he said, are you all right? And I just looked at him, I said, yeah, I'm fine. And the moment he asked that question, the stress level went down because I realized he wasn't going to yell at me. He wasn't probably, he probably wasn't going to, you know, grab me and drag me off the train. Just his tone kind of just calmed everything down. He said, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. He said, did you sleep here? I said, yeah. He said, you can't sleep here. And he goes, um, you're having a, you're, what are you having a tough time? And I said, yeah. And he goes, yeah, it looks like it. And then he, he goes, you see this ring? And he points at this ring and I didn't look at it. But he said, do you see this ring? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's a nice ring, isn't it? I was like, yeah, it's, it's nice, it's nice. Still haven't even looked at the ring. I'm not interested in anything he has to say. I'm just glad he's not going to yell at me. Mm. And um, he said, well, this ring had to be beaten and bent and battered into shape. Um, and it's a beautiful ring, though, isn't it? And maybe that's what you're going through now. And I just remember him saying, right, I'm going to pull in, but you have to get off at the station. So he pulled into the station and I got off and I... And I I didn't see the ring. To this day, I don't know what the ring looks like. But wow. as soon as I stepped off the train, I kept thinking about this ring, thinking about this ring. And oh, just before he he, he walked through the cabin, he said, oh, you should phone someone. You should talk to someone. Mm. And mm. I got off the train and I had a few pence in my pocket and I phoned my cousin. And that was the moment I stopped being homeless. She literally just said, why didn't you phone me earlier? Come down. Yeah. And that was it. It was it was a stranger talking about rings, a ring that I'd never seen before that um that that kind of picked wow. me up enough to give me the confidence to phone someone. I was embarrassed, I was ashamed. Um I was down on my luck. I was at my lowest point. I had no belief in myself and this complete stranger just gave me the one little message that I needed at the right time. Yeah. So why I mean you because you talk about leaving home when you yep. were 15, 16, then again, you said yep. 18, and then your mom kicked you out when you were 20, 21 or something. Yeah. Um, like, were you difficult? I mean, what were you, were you just bumming your, like yeah. off your mom in, in the sense of you didn't work? Um, you, you weren't mm. like, you were still, I mean, 2021, 20, right? No. That's when. So I, I, I've always had a job. I think from, I was about 14 years old, 15 years old, I pretty much always worked. My first job was in a mechanics. I worked there every weekend, you know. Mm. Then I worked as kitchen staff for an agency. Uh, then I worked for, uh, I went to college. I worked as an apprentice train engineer. I've always worked. Me and my mum, we've just never had a good relationship. We've, we've, um, ah, okay. I mean, I, I, I don't even call her mum, I call her by her name. We, we've never yeah. had a good relationship, I think. And also the the, the, the day, and, I, and I, I kind of understand why. So the day that she kicked me out and told me, you know, get out, she wants nothing to do with me. Um, she made it clear that um, the, the my, my come about in this world was just a result of a very short relationship. And she even said that one of her plans were to have an abortion. And if it weren't for my great grandma who told her to keep the child and she would take care of me, um, she would have gone ahead and had the abortion. So for me, um, I was either an inconvenience or uh, it was just the fact that I was unplanned that 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 just meant there was a divide between me and my mum. Yeah. 
which I mean can happen, right? These unplanned situations yeah, happen absolutely. all the time. But it's about the fact that what I'm hearing you say, it's about the fact that she verbalized and sort of uh, concurred that that was her feeling about it still today, that it was... Yeah, I mean... I think, but is that is that still today? Are you still in No, a, I mean, we, we still... we I haven't laid eyes on my mum for years and years and years. Um, we've not spoken. Um, I don't know, me... me I, 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 we haven't spoken, I haven't seen her for years since this happened. Um, <laughs> interestingly... Um, yeah. I remember the day it happened and there was a TV program on the TV called Everybody Hates Chris. And yeah. my middle name is Christopher. <laughs> and the theme <laughs> tune to that song was playing while I was being kicked out. And it honestly, it just felt, it was, it just was another blow. As I walked wow. out, it was an absolute, it was terrible anyway. But I remember the theme tune to Everybody Hates Chris playing. It was like, I think it was like 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the night this was happening. And mm. it was, it just felt like such a battering and I've never taken a battering like that before in my life. Um, it just felt really horrible. I wasn't, I, I, I wasn't a bad child. Um, and I, I genuinely mean that I wasn't um, argumentative. I didn't, um, you know, there weren't police at my door. Police have never come to my door um, for me. I've never, I'm not a thief, a criminal. I don't have, you know, I, I, I'm just not, that way inclined we just never saw eye to eye and I think um I think fundamentally it's my come about in this world and everything that I stood for she she during the time she just kept saying you're just like your father you remind me of your father you look like your father and um so I think there is or was some soreness there and I just yeah. embodied it or embodied and do you think do you think that now this because you know you know I mean be you or you're someone who who really wants to create a positive um, outlook, right? Yeah. And you want to share that and you want to encourage that. So um, then you'll definitely know of this notion where often it's the bad things in life that are actually our best things yeah. in the end because they are our biggest drives and our biggest yeah. sort of lessons. Yeah. So do you think that this is what also your mom's actually the person that drives you to success on a on a subliminal level? Um. No, I think I think to be honest, I think it's it's the other person involved in my come about. Um, Your great friend. A lot of people I mean, played a role answer. in it. I think my dad played a big role in it. Um, he doesn't know he did, but he did. Mm. He did a lot of things. When I was a kid, I remember he lived up the road from where he worked. Um, uh, just, sorry, we we lived along one main road, and he lived up the road and worked down the road. So he'd pass where I live. Every- That's very confusing. Say that again. <laughs> All right, one more time. So uh, where I lived in Jamaica as a kid, um, my dad, w- there was one main road in our area mm-hmm. called York Street. And I lived along York Street. And every single day, my dad had to travel along York Street to get to and from work. So I'd see yeah. him every day. Um, and I remember hoping that this man would just look at me just once, just give me a nod, give me a wink, give me a wave, give me anything. And I'd hear his motorbike coming from, you know, five minutes out. I could hear his motorbike coming and he'd never once so much as look at me. And I remember I used to run out to the front, especially as I got to, you know, four, five, six and people were saying, that's your dad. I'd run out to the front, hoping that this guy would just look at me. Yeah. And he never did. But I kept running out there. And it was one day when my great grandma came behind me. I didn't see her. She came behind me. She grabbed me and she said, look, stop coming out here. He doesn't want you. And 
it wasn't the fact that he didn't want me that upset me. It was the fact that she was upset and really teary while she was saying it. Because mm. I guess she just felt really, you know, she, she must have felt so so much pain watching me go out in hopes every day and being disappointed every day. Um, yeah. So when she did that, I was upset that he'd upset her. Yeah. Um, and I just, I've always just said, look, I'm not going to be like him. I'm going to do more, be more, see more and achieve more. Um, and also, I just, I, I guess to a degree, I've always just wanted to do things to make sure I'm wanted, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. th that was part of the plan, but it, it's not what it is now. Well, how would you describe what it is now? I think now it's a sense of um, pride. I take pride in what's happened and take pride in where I am and what's what's ahead of me. I think there's yeah. so much hope and potential ahead of me now. Um, and I take pride in, in, in looking at it and saying, look, I carved that out from absolutely nothing. I didn't have yeah. anyone to look at and say, that's the model that I'm going to follow. I didn't have anyone, you know, egging me on saying, go on, you can do it, you can do it, um, until there was some success there. Yeah, interesting. And that came completely, which is nice, actually, for everyone listening out to also yeah. connect with, right? Because you, you, you might not have that sort of idol or that a role model out there at, at this time of your life, but it's, it comes from within yourself. Absolutely. It comes from within yourself and the experiences you've had. Um, mm. I don't feel like I've had a bad life in any way. Um, it's like you were saying before, it's about learning from many of these experiences and learning lessons from them, which is, an, which is really important, actually. Um, yeah. Taking lessons from them and then applying those lessons, which is probably even more important. Um, if you've gone through something dark, a really painful yeah. experience, It, it, it gives you something to come out of that with a, a certain sense of you can come out of it, yeah. a sense of this is how I came out of it. And now I'm going to apply that to this new situation. So you do come away with, with lessons from harsh situations. And I think I've had enough harsh situations that I've got a few lessons I can call on or, or you know, a good set of experiences to call on in my arsenal. Sure. But just on, on sort of closing this particular chapter of the conversation, I mean, yeah. surely then your mom is also giving you sort of the reverse effect, the positive of the negative that she, she brought into your life. Yeah. But in, in, I think in a roundabout way, that's right. I think keeping, staying away from her um, is right. And wanting to almost wanting to prove to her that, yeah, you should have wanted me. I think there's a sense yeah. of that. And if I'm really honest, there's, there's probably a little bit more than a sense of that. I think mm -hmm. it's continuing to try and do good and try and do great things and try and achieve and see more and experience more and hopefully inspire enough people that she and others, my dad per se, um, will, should, I, I think the message here is me trying to say, you guys should have wanted me because I'm not worthless. I'm actually a, uh, uh, a worthy cause. This is sure. me. Um, do, do you know what I mean? So there is, I think totally. there is an element. Yeah. Of Pardon me. Yeah. I mean, she's your mom, Dwayne. Yeah. I mean, you know, you came, you came from, from out of her belly, right? Yes, she true. is a mother's child connection, whether it's a good or a bad connection has a profound impact on a person's life. I think it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does. I yeah. think, I think you're right. Uh, maybe, so then, more, maybe there's more of a more there than I'm, I'm admitting right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to be. I, well, I, 
Look, I I believe that. Yeah. I believe that whether it's a good or a bad connection, the connection you have with your parents, but certainly your mom, yeah, um, has a major effect on your entire life. And um, there's you just can never. I mean, like I know people can disown their parents, but I just don't believe you could ever do that fully. I think yeah. there will always be this hold, and you would use it. You will use the the energy of that to steer you in a direction in your life. I'm not going to disagree with you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, there's always going to be a thread there because, look, as a person, I think my mum's hardworking. I think she's driven. I think she, she – remember as well, she lost her mum at a young age. I think – I just think also in life sometimes people don't connect for whatever reason mm. um, in the way they should – and I think in yeah. my case, it just happens to be my mum. Other people, it's their next door neighbour. It's, you know, their brother-in-law or sister-in-law or their... Sure. In my case, it just happens to be my mum. Yeah. So tell me then, um, so you went to your... You, you called your cousin. Yeah. And she said, why didn't you do it sooner? Yeah. So then framework what happened after that till today. Yeah, so after that, I literally knocked around at my cousin's house for about two months or so. Found a job within... I think I was working at the time already, actually, but um, I, I, I was on the verge of losing my job. Um, mm-hmm. So I went back to work and actually got a second job as well. Um, yeah, what but, were you doing? So I was working in I was working in the bank, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken. I was working for Barclays Bank at the time. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, was it a bank or was it a post office? <laughs> no, it was definitely Barclays Bank. I remember phoning my manager and saying, look, um, saying, look, I'm really sorry I'm not going to come in. And I didn't have any money because I, I wasn't earning very much. Um, so what I did was I went back to work at my cousin's house, um, from my cousin's house, and I got a second job as well. So I needed money. I needed money quick. So I had, I got two jobs. I was able to, you know, get a haircut, have a wash, uh, clean myself up uh, and I got this second job and within two months I found a place to live and from there it was just just work just work just work just work and uh, a while later but Dwayne what work were you doing oh it was it was uh, I was working in Boots Pharmacy and Barclays Bank doing what oh working at the checkout at Boots and I was working yeah. as a cashier for Barclays Bank Okay. So nothing adventurous, not even in the slightest. And um, as time went on, there was the incident where um, this guy pulled a gun on me. Um, And the night he pulled a gun on me, uh, we had a little push and pull moment where I wanted, I wanted my, my moped back that had been stolen from me. And, um, and when I went to retrieve it, there was a group of boys tearing it apart and I had my younger brother with me at the time. And I snatched this one piece of plastic, this piece of panel out of this boy's hand. He, he, I decided I was taking this bite back and they all said I was just taking it as rubbish anyway. Um, and the problem was I built this moped from scratch. So I had a connection to it and I, and I was so angry. I marched onto this estate and demanded the bite back, mm. which is probably the stupidest thing that you could do, um, especially in my part, uh, part of London. Yeah. And I remember for the most part, I'd won. The moment they said, take it, we don't want it anyway, I won. That situation was in my control. And I looked over and I saw this one guy with this one plastic panel and I wanted it back as well. And 
I walked over to him and I grabbed it, snatched it out of his hand. And as I turned to walk away, he, he pushed me. So I turned and I kind of shrugged him back. And I don't know if it was embarrassment or I don't know if it was just frustration or anger mm. or what it was. <clears throat> but he walked away and about a minute or two later, he came back. He had this loaded gun. And I remember he was about four or five meters away from me, maybe about 10, 12 feet. And he raised the gun up, pointed it at me. And I stood up from, from where I was picking up the bits and pieces off the ground. I stood up and I pushed my brother to the side. And I remember this guy, before I could say, I, I raised my hands up and before I could say, you know, you don't have to do that. This guy, um, he pulled the trigger. I just, I heard the sound from the gun. And for me, it was, if a gun's pointed at you and it makes a noise, that means there's a bullet coming towards you. Mm. And I remember he cocked it back and he pulled the trigger again. And I thought, that's it, I've been shot. So I kind of I kind of held my body. I, I didn't feel mm. anything, but I held my body um, mm. instinctively. And before he could do it a third time, I mean, I saw, I saw what I thought was a bullet come out the side. And before he could do it a third time, some of the boys kind of grabbed him and said, ah, oh, you don't need to do that. It's a waste of bullet, you know, and walked him away. And um, I remember walking home, which took about 10 minutes or so. And I remember just stopping and checking every every few minutes I'd stop and check myself like just to check that I hadn't yeah. been bleeding or I didn't, yeah. I didn't miss the bullet wound or and I remember just you know just patting down myself and having a look and when I eventually got home I sat on my bed and I looked at my phone and there was a few messages and it wasn't it wasn't the usual messages the messages were people saying things like oh we heard what happened are you gonna get this guy we should get this guy we should get him. We know where to get this, that, and the other. Um, we know where we can find him. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I don't want to find him. I, I don't want to get him. I don't want to. I don't want to pursue him. I just want to. I just want to be all right. And I feel all right now. I'm alive. I've got my bike back. Um, this life isn't for me. I'm not someone that seeks retribution. And I remember I switched my phone off for about a week and a half or so. <clears throat> And I kept thinking, if I do get this guy, it's not going to be because I want to. It's going to be because everyone else wants me to. Yeah. And that was a pattern that I kind of got into through through my teen years, early life. So eight, nine, ten years old, all the way through my teens. This pattern of, I don't really want to go down the road, but everyone else is going, I'll go. I don't really yeah. go to the park, but everyone else is going, I'll go. So I kind yeah. of felt like I was losing a bit of myself every time I did something that everyone else wanted to do. And this was going to be a big thing. And I didn't want to lose myself to this. So I, I shut everyone off and I decided I'd, I'd re, redefine myself. Um, I'd rediscover, probably is a better word, myself. Yeah. And in rediscovering myself, I realized that actually I'm just the kid who liked the outdoors, who liked wildlife, who liked nature. Um, mm. And I want to see more of it and be involved in it a bit more. And that's how I decided I'm going to start doing more activities in the outdoors. Uh, I reached out to a guy that I knew who was doing the Three Peaks Challenge, which is the, 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 the target for the Three Peaks is to climb the highest mountains in uh, England, Scotland, and Wales, mm. um, and to do all three within 24 hours. So that was a real, the first real big challenge I set myself. So I did that and I was like, this feels amazing. Yeah. Um, I then saw Ben Fogle and James Cracknell <coughs> speaking about their plans to walk across Antarctica. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do next. I reached yeah. out to their team. They said, unfortunately, selections have started. We can't let you in now. Would you consider going to the North Pole instead? I thought, brilliant. I'm Jamaican. 
I d- Hell grew up yeah. in London. <laughs> you know what I mean? As far as I'm concerned, cold snow, it doesn't matter whether it's south, north, east, west, wherever it is, it's cold and snow. So I said, yeah, sure. Uh, and that's how the whole experience for, for the North Pole came about. Um, I did some basic training here in the UK. I then traveled to Norway, did some training. I did some training um, in, in other parts of Europe, uh, just off my own back. And then I ended up in northern Canada where we walked from Resolute Bay all the way. It was like 400 plus miles up to the magnetic North Pole. And for me, this felt so good because it was the platform I needed to shout and tell everyone that it doesn't matter where your starting point is. What matters is the journey and the destination. Yeah. So... um. You make it sound pretty easy. This this next <laughs> this next section, right? Yeah. So after that that reality moment of realizing, right, I'm not going to go down that road that I keep going down. Yeah. You know, just so that I can fit in, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the opposite direction and start climbing mountains and be the explorer that I was, you know, yeah, born absolutely. to be. Um, you make that sound so easy. You you know, okay, the three peaks challenge. I know because I've I've myself participated in it. I, I was actually one of the the midnight drivers. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't you love it? I had a sat in the back and they suffering from cramps from head to toe. Exactly. Yeah, I had a boyfriend at the time who who still today is a runner. He's not my boyfriend anymore. Yeah. He wasn't married, but um, you know, so I was just myself and my best friend. We were the drivers. I mean, it was stunning. And then the last one we climbed. Which I can't. I think it was Snowden. Yeah, yeah usually we'd start. So often people start at, um, in 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 uh, Scarfell up in Fort William in Scotland. Yeah, and they make their way gradually southwest. So go down to um, uh, sorry, Ben Nevis up in Scotland, then Scarfell in England, and then head west to Snowden in in Wales. Wales, yeah, agonising absolutely. If you've never done it, um, expect pain and agony. But it's but but that so that part I understand right yeah. so because um you know you just register you don't have to be anybody no. you can be nobody huh and I'm just making it sound as sort of yeah you know um just, for anyone who thinks oh okay well he can do it I can't well no, that's not no, true no, not anybody true. can just go and register for the three peaks challenge and you can go and do it there's no um qualifications re- required no none whatsoever you're right yeah. So okay, cool. So I get that part. So you you did that, and and that was awesome. And um, you were in pain, but you you it was the start of the journey. And then you said you called Ben, and no. So with with Ben Fogel and James Cracknell, they were on BBC Breakfast. I think this would have been two thousand eight. They were on BBC Breakfast, and um, I actually missed out part of the story. So a friend of mine was shot and killed, and um, when that happened, it kind of reinvigorated that sense that I need to do something to stop this kind of thing happening. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. So when I saw Ben Fogel and, uh, and James Cracknell on BBC Breakfast talking about they just rolled across the Atlantic and or, or they they previously rolled across the Atlantic and their new challenge was now that they were going to walk to the South Pole. Yeah. They actually said in that interview that they were looking for a third member to join their team. And immediately alarm bells started ringing in my head. I was, thinking, oh, wow, maybe this is the thing that I need to do to to, um, to to create the change that I'm hoping for, that I want to see, um, to, to, to kind of motivate my peers into thinking they could do a lot more. Maybe this is the thing. So yeah. I sat on the idea for a couple of weeks 
And when I eventually plucked up the, col- the, the, the courage to kind of reach out to him uh, via yeah. email, I got a message back from the organizers of that event saying, oh, unfortunately, the selection process has started already. So it would be unfair to let you in now. Would you consider going to the North Pole on this other expedition that we know of? Yeah. So that's how that that's, happened. So I. Re- but that sounds. That sounds. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. so so for someone like myself who, like, I work in the media business. Yes. And I mean, at the end of the day, this is still associated with the media business, right? Yes. There's cameras that go along. It's 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 full on media as well. Yes. Um, it's full on television, right? Yes. So, I mean one doesn't just get emails from the organizers saying, oh, sorry, that one's already taken, but how about the no. North Pole, the South Pole, whatever? No. I mean, that doesn't just happen. So I wrote, um, I, I actually wrote a backstory in, in the message I okay. sent. I, look, I, I explained a little bit about who I was and why I wanted to do it. And okay. I, think, I think my experiences and stories um, may have just ushered a response. Um, I explained to them that, look, I've, I've had these experiences where I've been stabbed. I've had guns pulled on me. I've had street fights. I've um, been the victim of crime. I've been, I've suffered loss as a result of crime. Um, And I want to make a change. I want to be, I want people to look at me and say, if that guy can do it, I definitely can do it. And I kind of broke that down, explained it to them in, in a little bit more detail than that. And I think, it just resonated with them, the story and um, my hopes for the expedition reso- res- resonated with them. And they just said, look, let's respond to this guy. So okay. I'm going to assume that that's what it was. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, but that, that frames it much better for me. Like yeah. that, that I can, right, I can right. see that. Yeah. Right. And um, <clears throat> also, did you, was it important that you had done the three peaks to them? No. I mean, when I was asked, when I reached out to the, the guys going to the North Pole, the magnetic North Pole, um, I was asked what my fitness level was like. And I explained to them that, look, I box, I run, I, um, I've done the three peaks, which was the biggest thing that I'd done to that point. Um, I played football and I did all of this stuff within a week. So yeah. I said, look, in terms of fitness, I'm confident I'm fit enough but I've never experienced anything as cold as what the North Pole would be. <laughs> I mean, it would be Jamaican. Cold in Jamaica. <laughs> That's like, what's that Blade Runner? <laughs> yeah. New, completely new thing. So for me, it was, it was a completely different environment. And I just thought I'm going to be open. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell them what I know and hopefully they'll still accept me. Mm. And they did. Um, but the scariest part was when they said, right, just so you know, we love your story. We love why you want to do this. Um, and, you know, we believe based on what you've told us, you, you, there's no reason why you can't. Uh, now you just need to find the 23,000 pounds to make it happen. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I was dirt poor. I used um, all my savings. I decided to go back to uni. So I used all my student loan money. I was supposed to buy books, but I didn't. Sorry. Um, I, but did you did you go to uni as a strategy to get a loan? No, for this I, trip I I went to uni as um, I, I wanted to do more, and I just felt like the the life the path that I was on wasn't the one for me, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I chose to go to uni and study. I think whenever and what did go, you study? Uh, I studied psychology with international development and career and business management. 
Now, okay, but now, I mean, a university degree takes like three years at least, yeah. right, just to get the basic bachelor's, yeah. and then, of course, you specialize. So, I mean, when what was the transition from contacting Ben to the next trip in, in as you talk about the magnetic North Pole, and now in, the, in between you becoming a psychologist? <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, 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 I went to uni from 2007, I was in uni, so when I saw Ben Fogel and James Cracknell, I think that was 2008, even late yeah. 2007, early 2008. <clears throat> okay. um, the trip to the North Pole, not their trip, the trip that they that, that the organisers of theirs kind of pointed me to was planned for 2009. Okay. So it was a year between each one. And um, I think while I was at uni, all my second and third year money, I literally just dumped into the North Pole. Once I'd paid me the wow. fees, I dumped it into into getting me to the pole. And it still wasn't enough. I even had to take a small loan to get the rest yeah. of the money. That's how much I believed in this idea. Um, and believed wow. it had the power to just inspire and empower other people. Yeah. And that, that right there is also super interesting, profound, and it's a nice detail to just sort of go into. Yeah. Um, the fact that you believed in this so much, like, you know, how can other people translate this into their own life? Like, what what was it that made you understand that this was so important? Was it just a feeling or was mm -hmm. it a dream? Or, like, what were the affirmations that kept coming up to give you that confidence? There were a couple of things. There were a couple of things. One, <clears throat> the moment I heard Ben and James saying, you know, we're going to the South Pole and looking for a third person, Mm. There wasn't a second between hearing that and knowing that I was meant to arrive at a pole. Okay. Um, I, I felt it was the right thing to do. And I've always instinctively, um, at my happiest moments and my most confident moments, it's because I'm doing what I feel is right. Yeah. Um, following that, I did some research. And it turns out that um, in, two th in 1909, Matthew Henson and Robert Peary arrived at the magnetic North Pole. That was a hundred mm -hmm. years to the week um, that I was planned to arrive there. Matthew was the first black person to make that journey. Wow. And it just so wow. happens. I, 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 I don't know if this is absolute fact. So many researchers have told me, researchers have told me that um, I'm the second. What's Matthew's full name? Matthew Henson. Okay. And the other guy? Uh, uh, Robert Peary. And Matthew Henson has been uh, attributed with, you know, the title of the first person to arrive at the Magnetic North Pole. So I would be the second black person ever to arrive at the Magnetic North Pole. Um, wow. It just, <clears throat> it, it seemed serendipitous that it would yeah. happen a hundred years, the, the journey. So I, all these things were just affirming that, yep, you should be doing this. Um, the fact that, it was so abstract to anything that I had done or anything that I'd known anyone to have done before made it feel mm. like it was the right thing to do if I could achieve it. Um, mm. I knew it had the power to inspire people because when it came out in the papers, um, when, when I first approached a newspaper and said, look, guys, I'm doing this, I was almost embarrassed of the idea. As much as I believed in it, I was embarrassed of it. So I didn't tell any of my friends or my family yeah. And um embarrassed or afraid that you weren't going to make it. I was I was questioning the idea because it was still a bit nutty, wasn't it? Here's a black kid from Jamaica growing up in East London <laughs> going to the pole. 
that's the kind of thing that gets you sectioned, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, but I mean, so did, yeah. did you just contact the newspaper off your own bat, or did you have sort of someone helping you along no, now because no. you were joining this production team? No, so there was no production team. It was just <clears throat> Dwayne Fields in my room, and the odd. So I told when I first contacted the the the, the, the organization running this event, going to the poll. They sent through some information and some suggestions. And I mulled over the suggestions for a while and I didn't contact the papers because I was still apprehensive about putting it out there because mm-hmm. I was still struggling to get the money. I was still wondering, was I fit enough? Could I manage it? Could I take the cold? Um, I had a lot of doubt, even though I believed in the idea. Um, yeah. If you can square that circle. Um, yeah, so yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I, there was so much doubt and I didn't want to put it out there because I knew once I put it out there, it's something that I had to do. Otherwise, people would see me as a failure or I'd be just that guy that says it but never does it. And I didn't want to be that. So, I, Or the guy that says it and doesn't – that starts it but doesn't, doesn't make it. Doesn't finish it. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't want to be that. So I put it off for a while and eventually I plucked up the courage to contact the newspaper, uh, uh, Hackney Gazette, I think it was. Yeah. And the very first uh, article that went out, it said something along the lines of ex-gang member – and I thought, I've never been in a gang. I've never, yeah. I've never been in a gang. Um, and it's the media, Dwayne. I've got to make I've it sound interesting. I've come to understand. But um, that was the first thing. And then my phone rings. And my friend who, and I was ready for an argument. I was ready for people to tell me I'm an idiot for doing it and I'd lose this, that and the other and this bit of me would fall off and how it was a stupid idea and it's not what black people do and it's not what people from my area does and it's not our thing. I was ready for all of that. So when my friend calls me and he's like, bruv, are you climbing the North Pole? The first I said, well, first of all, idiot, you don't climb the North Pole. So I was, I was, I was in that. <laughs> my frame of mind is very defensive. And I think the first three or four phone calls that I got about it, I approached it with that frame of mind, which was very defensive and I was very ready to attack because I felt like everyone would attack me. And for the most part, people that called up did say, oh, you know, you know, you're going to die. People don't do that. We don't. And I was like, well, all of this, all of these voices was making it more resolute in my mind that I needed to do this to prove them all wrong. Yeah, which 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 already is is on an innate level a part of your drive as Absolutely. well, right? It was it was already born yeah. in, and I didn't expect, and and I think it's a sad thing actually that I didn't expect many people to get behind it. Mm. Um, I didn't have the confidence that people would say, actually, you know, what? it's going to be tough, but I believe in you. I didn't expect people to say that, um, yeah. and for the most part, I didn't get people saying that. So for me, it was grit your teeth and prove all these people wrong. Yeah. And that's the approach I took prior to it. Um, that's the approach I took while I was actually walking um, that distance and skiing across the ice and the frozen ocean. Uh, that's the approach I took when I was approaching the pole. Uh, and that's the the approach I t- and, until I came back. And it was that little red hen scenario, that classic little red hen scenario. That mm. When it's done or when people see that you're about to complete it, they start jumping on board and saying things like, oh, well, do you know what? At least if you're going to do it, then you make sure you finish. And, you know, um, I knew you would do it and we believed you could. You, you, all these things had yeah. to come out the woodwork. <clears throat> 
so then when you did come so just just tell me exactly what the what the um obstacle like not the obstacle but what the you know the ch- the, the the distances <clears throat> and just tell me exactly what it, what it covered so the 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 magnetic north pole uh when i did it was located about 400 or so nautical miles north of a place called Resolute Bay, which is where Matthew mm-hmm. Henson and Robert Perry set out from a hundred years prior to that. Um, yeah. In actual fact, I didn't end up doing it in 2009. I ended up doing it in 2010. So it was okay. 101 years earlier that they'd walked that journey or made that journey. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was literally, we were skirting along islands which were covered in absolute snow. We would walk across frozen ocean for days at a time. Uh, there were times we'd be in a tent and you could hear the ice underneath cracking and just shifting inside. You know, it was really, really hair-raising stuff. Um, we were, there were times where we had to reach for the shotgun because the flares and noise wasn't scaring off the polar bear enough. Yeah. Um, those days I'd look at my teammates and I'd think to myself, actually, I could probably beat you in a race. So, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I, I I just, I, I thought to myself, right, well, look, let's work together as long as working together works. Um, yeah. But if needs be, yeah, guys, I'm pretty <laughs> certain I can, I can do this one. I can leave you stranded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I really love my teammates. I learned to love my teammates. Um, there were times where I, I was really frustrated um, and I directed my frustrations towards them. Yeah but they were not the reason for my frustrations. It was me and it was my own, um, my, my own mishandling and mismanagement of my, my personal care. In terms of eating, I didn't eat enough to give me the energy to pull this 100 kilo pulk, which is like a sled, um, and yeah. walk for 13, 14 hours a day. And as mm-hmm. I became tired, I'd say, you guys packed my pulk wrong. And then they'd turn around and say, but Dwayne, you packed your pulk. And I'd then yeah. come to the realization that actually I did pack it and I'd feel like an idiot and I'd, I'd have to, like, yeah. I'm sorry, I did. You're right. I did. It wasn't you. I'm sorry. Um, and it was strangely apologizing wasn't something that I did a lot of as a kid growing up as a teen. It's not what yeah. really is it? Especially yeah. people in your circle, you don't apologize very much. So that was a new experience for me. Well, you know, I guess, um, like at schools, you know, we, I mean, for example, we went on these team building things where they took us into, oh, no. you know, the bush and whatever. And, you know, you learn, you learn in those situations, they put you in situations, you know, to, to develop these sort of social skills of, you know, apologizing or recognizing where you go wrong. And for you, yeah. From the story I'm hearing, like this was your first opportunity to have a real, actual self-reflection. Yeah, well, it was. It was. Um, we'd I'd been camping before, um, mm. but as a teen <clears throat> and into my early twenties, I've never done any kind of team building exercises per se. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know, I did, like you said, I know how valuable they are now because I've seen some, I've led some, I've worked with other people who've delivered them. So I know how valuable they are, but I'd never experienced one myself. And growing up in the era I grew up in, I think apologizing or admitting that you'd got it wrong, it was almost a sign of weakness. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, who who was on this 
venture the, the first time? Oh, the first time was the amazing uh, Linda Pomeroy. She was one of my teammates and Ali Bajwa. Um, the amazing thing about them was Ali was a doctor. Uh, he's a orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. And I think Linda is something like a health economist. Don't ask me when she's around. It'll just embarrass me because I don't know. But I think that's what she is. <laughs> um, uh, they, and, uh, the, the funny thing about their team was I'd never come into, two, into contact with two people like them before. These were people who were super smart, um, yeah. really capable. Um, I'd been around smart people before, but I'd never been in such close contacts um, I'd never had yeah. such close access to them before. I'd never shared a tent with them before. And there were times where I would just pause and listen to them talk. I'd just watch them talk. Um, and there were other times where they were just as silly as I was. They would joke and laugh. And this was the first time that I learned to just look at people and take people for what they are or, or for who they are, not what they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah. for me, it was just having them on my team or being on their team because I don't know how it worked. It was just, it was a real eye-opener for so many reasons. And, and that's just one of them. And there were times where I'd listen to Ali tell his stories. And his stories were amazing. They'd always start with um, with something like, I'll tell you a story. That's how he'd start his sentences. And yeah. just listening to some of his stories and some of his experiences. <laughs> Ali's a little bit older than I am. Yeah. Listening to some of his experiences and stories. We shared a very similar um, start in life. Linda, listening to her stories, we shared very little about our start in life. She was, you know, a white woman from middle England somewhere, but we still Mm. found a way to work together. We still found that we had so much in common, even with all our differences. And I think there was something profound in the fact that I could have so much in common and so little in common with a woman from middle England and so much in common and not in common with a man from (laughs) Pakistan. Yeah, um, yeah, completely different ages, and we just work together. It just—I think there's something profound in that, in regards to how I handle people and how I, you know, communicate and and just interact with people now. Because it doesn't matter. Again, I keep saying it, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you do, what you don't do. There's always points that you can connect on. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree with that as well. I I, I really vouch for that statement right there because I for me um there's just not a single person that I cannot find common an in to to connect with you just it it can be a just as from the simplest thing that's happening right now in front of you you can just find something or an absolutely a background or a study or a or a sport or a um, a child or a, there's, there's so many levels you can connect with another human being on. And um, what was the, what was the reason for you doing this? Not, not for you, I understand mm. you, but what, why was this taking place? So this event was taking place as a commemoration to the, 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 the race that had taken place a hundred years earlier. Okay. So, so it was also in celebration of, and as you say, commemoration. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it just, everything about this just felt serendipitous. The fact that I was watching the, the news that morning at the time, I didn't usually watch the news. It just happened to be yeah. on in the background and I happened to be in the kitchen and I happened to hear 
Ben and James talking about this adventure. And I happened to then send an email, which I wasn't going to send. I was reluctant to send. I happened to send the email. And it just so happens that when the first load of money needed to go in, I happened to get my student loan drop into my account. Um, later, I happened to meet the person who encouraged me to to send this e- send this email to the newspaper. I happened to find out that J- that that, that um, Matthew Henson did this thing a hundred years later, uh, earlier. Sorry, I happened. It just so many things just kept happening. Um, yeah. I, I, do you know what I mean? I happened to yeah. get to Norway when I when I went to Norway. I didn't have any money um, on this expedition. I'd spent all my money to. To, to pay my bills, pay my rent, pay my expenses. Um, I, I I was working, but I was absolutely impoverished. I, I remember yeah. I actually borrowed money from my cousin when I went to Norway. I was like, look, I can get to Norway, but I'm not going to have any money when I get there. And she gave me money. Yeah. So I, I everything just seemed to happen. She happened to have money. She gave it to me. Um, I read Matthew Henson's story. And for me, there were so many parallels with my story he was estranged from his parents I think they either passed or um or he was I'm pretty certain if I remember correctly he was orphaned at a young age he was a cabin boy on this ship um and I I would look at my own life and draw parallels to his I went to sea cadets at age 10 11 at that age um, 10, 11, 12, 13, he was working at a dock and I think he became a cabin boy slightly later. So you automatically start building up uh, similarities between you and this person that you're reading about. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a carpenter. He was good with his hands. I used to make things. I'd tear apart a video player and use it to open a door, make it into something mm-hmm. that could open and lock a door by the press of a button. Um well, you made your own moped. I, uh, yeah, 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 I did. I, did. Um, <laughs> I, I would make so many different things as a kid. Uh, I remember I made a solar-powered plane by buying so many different small uh, solar-powered calculators, connecting them all up in whether it was parallel or series or a combination of both. And I made this thing that would fly and it kept flying and I watched it fly off into the distance. And, I, I, and then it was like, right, that's gone on to the next thing. Yeah, that's the kind of kid I was. So I kept building up all these parallels between me and this guy um, to the point where I felt like, hold on, I'm channeling this guy. I now have to do this. Yeah. Um, There were all these things. I just they kept pushing me towards going and pulling me towards going as well, which is I think it's really powerful when you're when you've got both forces working on you. Yeah, absolutely. Was there ever a time where you thought to pull out? There were a few times I thought to pull out. Um, I think the one that comes to mind most of all was while we're out there, I think it would have been day, I think in day seven, day six, seven, we were walking across the ocean. It was completely flat. And at this point I was really tired, really hungry. And my teammates would do this thing where, um, they were friends previous to this trip, prior to this trip. And they do this thing where they'd walk ahead, uh, stop, have a conversation and as soon as I'd catch up, it'd be like, you okay? I'd be like, yep. Then they'd set off again. So I wouldn't get that social time that I, that I really wanted. And it was frustrating. So I'd walk ahead so I wouldn't have to see them. And when, when I was walking across the frozen ocean, I stopped at one point. I was ahead and I stopped. And I did this full circle in my head. I was thinking, maybe this isn't for me. I'm tired. It's freezing cold. Um, it's completely white. I can't see anything. 
maybe this isn't for me. Maybe everyone was right and I wasn't going to do this. And I remember I did a full circle. I just looked around and I saw these two guys and they walked up and they smiled. And just that smile alone, I stopped and I thought to myself, actually, it's not so bad. I've got these two guys in my world. Um, they're not really that bad, actually. Mm. I can keep going. And then a couple of days later, we had this blizzard come in. And it lasted for about, it lasted about 36, 48 hours, actually. And we, we packed up the camp uh, and we, we set off. And we were going for about three and a half, four hours. And we covered about a mile and a half. That's how bad the conditions were. Mm. And at that stage, my hands were frozen. My teammates' hands were frozen. We covered, we, we were covered with snow. Um, I looked at Ali and Linda and we were wearing all the gloves, all the clothing, all the layers that we could. And we were still bitterly cold. And to, to, to illustrate how cold we were, actually, it normally takes us about six minutes to set up the tent and get inside. On this day, we were still trying to get it up at about 25 minutes, going on 30 minutes. We were still trying to set this tent up. Our hands weren't opening and closing. We were absolutely just battered. And on that day, I wanted to, I wanted to quit. But the moment we struck the light and the fire lit and I felt the warmth, it was like, no, I'm going to keep going. So every single time there was that feeling of, I want to quit, I want to go home, something would happen um, that I would read as keep going. Yeah. Well, it was actually, it's funny, it's always a, a connection of warmth. So either warmth warmth to the heart or warmth to the body. Uh, and uh, do you know what? Every single time, that's exactly what it was. It was either the, the, the physical warmth, the fire, or it was something nice being said by Ali or Linda coming through and saying, are you okay? Uh, and mm. we did it a lot for each other. I remember one point. So I had a pet muskox while, um, and if, if anyone doesn't know what a muskox is, it's, it's a big, bushy dark brown animal that lives up in the arctic yeah and um <laughs> these things they weigh 450 500 kilos so they're big animals uh, about the size of a cow um i found a baby one stuck on a ledge and i you know i had this thing about rescuing animals from nature from when i was a kid so i went to yeah. rescue this animal and i thought if i brought it back up to the top of the, the this um this 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 ledge it would run off and join the herd um but I, I, you know, put it back to the top and then it came back down again and we both fell down into this, this, this gully. And I, I was, you know, trying to shoo it off. I was like, look, go on, go. And it just kept coming towards me and it just decided that I was now its mum to the point where it was trying to feed from time to time. And yeah. I was like, look, I don't have the tools necessary to feed you. You need to go, go. And for the next three days, this thing decided I was its mum. So... I was in fact a surrogate for, for the next couple of days. And for me, that gave me a, an even bigger purpose now. Yeah. To keep. When was, what, what stage in the, how long did this take? This was a 22 day um, trip. It was okay. a walk. We were walking for 22 days. And uh, just quickly to, to go back to your pet. So at what day did your pet come I, into I, the picture? I genuinely can't remember. I'm pretty sure. Oh, around okay. a two-week mark. I think okay. it would have been about day 12, 13, 14. Okay. It wasn't the early yeah. stages. Yeah. And um, what the, you talk about the three of you. Was there a camera crew? No, we didn't have a camera crew. What we had were checkpoints along the way. So we'd you know, show up at a checkpoint using our GPS, our maps, compasses. Uh, we show up at the checkpoint. We'd um, 
stay there for 12 hours, then head off again to the next one. And I remember just thinking, every, this isn't a big journey. It's, it's, it's lots of small journeys mm. as a result of having won the checkpoints. It was, we had two checkpoints along this 400 plus mile journey. So I broke it down and this is probably what got me through it. Actually, it was breaking down this big 400 plus mile, 16 hour days, um, day, 16 hours of walking every day into yeah. loads of little single day trips. Yeah. So, but I mean, and Ellie and Linda, like the three of you, yeah. um, who was tracking you or like, what if you guys ended up in this hectic blizzard and then you all just froze to death? Well, look, we had, um, satellite phones and we could, we could phone if things got really hairy. Fundamentally, we were out there on our own. It was the three of us. Who was who was supporting the project? Well, who was so the organization? The organization who um, put this together was one called Extreme World Races, mm -hmm. um, and they had a team at base camp, and they had teams at these checkpoints, um, and that was as much support as we had. Okay, we yeah. were responsible for each <clears throat> other's health. We were responsible for our route planning. We were responsible for executing that route, and we we're ex responsible for the choices that we made on the ground. We weren't being um, ushered in a particular direction. Um, our sole purpose was to get out there, get to the checkpoints, and make it to the Mag North. That is so crazy, and you don't even know. I mean, you're you literally just coming in with the three of you. Yeah. I mean, how much training did you all do before? So Ali, at one point, Ali and Linda were in Australia. Um, and I know Ali was doing, they were doing their training. We'd done some training in Norway, in, in a place called Jurkin, up in the mountains of Norway. Um, mm. We'd done ice breaking drills. And for anyone that doesn't know, that's where you, you know, cut out a huge hole in the middle of a lake and, and you ski along and just ski into this hole. And your responsibility is to get out kick off your skis, take off any outer clothing, take your bag off, roll in the snow to remove any excess moisture, <laughs> set your tent up, get the fire going, warm up, change your clothes. It's prepping you because, again, remember, we're, we're walking yeah. and skiing across frozen ocean. Yeah. Below thick ice, or what we hope is thick ice, is a liquid ocean, and there's there's a, there's a chance that you might fall through a crack or the ice might give way for whatever reason. There's a chance that um, you could fall into that water and you have to get yourself out or your teammates have to help you get out and they have to do everything to support your warming up and support your recovery from that. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's so funny hearing you say that. So I'm thinking, okay, so I told you earlier that I was listening to watching Trevor Noah, right? Yes. So in Travis Noah's stand-up, he talks about the fact that, uh, and you also talk about Scotland and the, you know, in your story yeah. um, with with one of the peaks. But anyway, one of his um, like, uh, what do you call it? Scenes in his stand-up is talking about James Bond, right? Yeah. And how um, they were thinking about this. Um, uh, I, I don't know what his name is, but um, the black guy to be James Bond. And right. then he started painting this whole picture of about being, you know, putting things into perspective and the fact that in Scotland, there's not one black person in Scotland. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, but anyway, so now, so he's talking about this guy and, and the fact that he's so he's 
role-playing it, right? So in Scotland, there's this now black James Bond and he's running around. And But because he's the only black guy in Scotland, he keeps getting caught yeah, because he's sticking out the whole time, right? So he's painting this picture of how he's diving and then he gets up and then it's like, oh, there you are. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone runs after him. But now, because I'm such a visual person and I think you are as well from hearing your story, yeah. um, so I'm just picturing you like doing these dives through the snow, skiing across the ice. Yeah. <laughs> so Dwayne Fields is the next James Bond. No, <laughs> I don't have the skills needed. <laughs> so one of the things that I joked about a lot was um, I'm I'm going to be at risk from polar bear because they're going to look at me and think, why is that seal? Because I'm the same color as a seal. Why is that seal standing up on two legs? I'm going to go and check it out. So I always thought to mm. myself, if anything, they're going to show more interest in me than the others. <laughs> Funny. Oh, no, brilliant. So now, listen, we, we've, um, yeah, I, I mean, I could talk for hours with you, obviously, and I promised you around an hour and a half. But um, so just like what's then been now since then yep. framework, what's happened in your life in a nutshell? So since coming back from the poll, I've been fortunate enough to meet the Queen. I've been awarded Freedom wow. of the City of London. I've gone on other expeditions to cross the Sinai Desert. I've done things in jungles. I've been part of the team, the first team to ever circumnavigate Jamaica by sea kayak. Um, I've done walks across uh, all over Europe. I've done things here in the UK. I've worked with young people, which is, uh, I'm a scout ambassador now, um, which is probably one of my my most proudest achievements. Um, and the work I do with young people is, I think that for me is the most rewarding thing that I do at the moment, actually, or ever done. Um, I think there's something about when you, when you bring a young person into these environments, um, up a mountain or in, in a wooded area, and this is their first experience of it, and you're part of that story. And the moment you see their face when they actually just freeze and they realize, actually, there's no car horns, there's no sirens, there's no traffic. It's just natural sounds. There's this profound moment that you you look at their face and you see that they get what nature is all about or the outdoors is all about. Um, yeah. I've been, uh, I finished university, uh, of course. Um, a lot's happened. Since. Well, not of course. Oh, that, that 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 that's uh, that's not of course. So, did you finish your psychology degree? Yes, I did. Um, so I finished that. So, I started out as a psychology degree, but then I realised that I was I was comf I was comfortable. And I wanted to add something else to it. So I added international development to my degree as well. And okay. eventually then thought, oh, I'd add something else and added international development with career and business management. So my degree is probably the most useless, long-winded degree in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not actually, you know like what I mean? In the world as far as I'm aware. No, but I mean, here you are also serving and you talk about scouting being for you, actually, what you feel has been one of your biggest achievements, or should we say also your most rewarding. Yeah. Um, but but scouting is very much connected to what people do with their life and career is is really where, yeah, okay, you can be sort of a Mother Teresa or whatever, then mm -hmm. you don't define what you do as a career, but um what we contribute in society is largely defined by <clears throat> our career, right? Yeah, true. <clears throat> um, and I, I mean, I don't take away any of the contributions of 
mothers or I mean being a mother myself although I'm passionate about what I do in my career but obviously motherhood is as equally as big a contribution but absolutely when you're taking people on these scouts uh camps and you know that's very much about what people end up doing with their life yeah I mean my role as a scout ambassador is more of a symbolic role I go out and I thank people for what they do um I, I I I do go to some of the camps when we were running them, of course, I do go down the ground and meet um, some of the leaders in the scout groups. I meet the scouts. I talk to them. I hear their stories and I share mine um, because it's all about just empowering, inspiring the next generation. So for me, the, it's it's all about the next generation. The, the previous generations, look, whatever has happened in the world has happened. And it's just like being on an expedition. If something bad happens, you can draw a line underneath it, remember it, learn from it, but move on. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of ethos that I apply to everything in life. Um, there was a, a, I used a quote in one of my posts recently, um, and it was that a sunset is a reminder that even the worst days can end beautifully. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think applying that to, to, to my life is, is really what's keeping me happy. No matter what yeah. happens, it's, yeah, that was bad. That wasn't what I wanted. That wasn't good. But this is what I learned, and this is how I'm going to make it better. But so can I ask you something? Sure. <clears throat> Let's take the situation with your mom as an example. Yep. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because it's, it is such a real close, close to your heart scenario, right, yep. where other people now listening can say, okay, I can – I can translate this into my own life, not because of their having had an issue with the parent, but because of something else, but because this is your one of, well, this has been one of the conversations that's been happening throughout your life, right? right? This, the, the conversation of the relationship between you and your mom and where you stand with that. Right. And so how, given this scenario, because it's never going to go, your mom will always be your mom, even once she's passed, yes. you know, your mom is always going to be that conversation in your head that you'll have with yourself. Um, how do you really genuinely place this in your life so that it doesn't in any way um, affect you negatively mm -hmm. or create a, a sense of negative energy in your being? So that question is probably one of the toughest questions that I've ever been asked. And I've thought about this question, actually. Um, I don't have a prepared remark, but I do have a line of thinking. And actually, mm -hmm. I, I have as much conflict about my mum as I do about my dad. Mm -hmm. um, I can pick out my dad in a crowd. I've spoken to him. Last time I actually saw him was about three years ago, four years ago. Um, I've spoken to him a handful of times, maybe three times in my entire life. And wow. I'm conflicted um, by the thought of what if he dies? Would I go to the funeral? Um, what should I do? Do I play a part? Do I actively pursue it? And it's the same thing with my mum. Am I right? Do I have to fix this? Do I need to solve this? Is this a problem for me to solve? Or is it better that I keep that negative energy that I that I see around them away from me in order that I yeah. can carry on doing what I do. Um, I don't have an answer for that. The truth is mm. I'm still 
I'm still working on that 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 dilemma. Um, it, 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 it people would probably think it's easy to say, oh well, it's your mum. Go and talk to her. Go and so, but there's a lot of there's a lot of hurt there. Um, mm. Even though I've come to terms with the pain, it, it it's still it's still very real. It's still very fresh. It's still very raw. Um, I also think personally, I'm, I'm my mum is someone who. I feel like I'm better off at a distance. We're better or, or I'm better at a distance from her because there's a lot of negativity from her aimed at me um, for reasons yeah. that she knows best. Um, for whatever, whatever the reason is, she didn't want a child at that time or with this person I came about. Um, her plans to abort me didn't work out. Um, her intentions in life for whatever reasons haven't worked out since. Um, I mean, she has a good life. She does. She has a good life. She does well. Um, but when it comes to me, it seems like there's a lot of frustration there. So I think the best thing for the time being anyway is to keep my distance from her and, and him. Yeah. Well, I think that that's beautiful, Dwayne, that you can, you know, that you can also be open about the fact that you don't have all the answers. Mm. I don't think any of us have all the answers. And again, the whole purpose of, um, I think my life as an explorer is learning as I go. And I said it before. Um, yeah. If I had all the answers, I wouldn't be an explorer. I'll just be a traveler. Um, I, I don't have all the answers. And yeah. I'm building up my skill set, building up my knowledge, building up my experiences. Uh, I'm building up my set of stories as I go along. So I'm learning every single day. And my personal life, uh, my professional life, um, they, they are one and the same. And I think that's why I'm at ease because there isn't really much conflict between who I am as a person and what I do for a living. Beautiful, beautiful. And I think that that, that hits the nail on the head, right? Yeah. About finding joy in life is about being the same person inside your workspace as you are at home, Absolutely. as you are when you're walking in the field. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um. Just um, quickly, where did the transition go to getting into? I mean, because I'm not in I'm not in um, England anymore. Mm -hmm. I, otherwise, I'd be watching also all the breakfast shows, etc. So I don't see. I, I you know I got, I got introduced to you through through Ed. Right. So I don't know to what extent you are known in the okay. UK and and to what extent you are on, on, on television. I haven't watched anything yeah. yet because I didn't want to go into it yet, but I will now after this. Um, but to what extent, like, so when did you then really get into the TV world? Okay. How did that happen? So um, just so people are aware, I'm, I, I present on Country File uh, a number of times. I've presented on Country File a number of times. Um, I've been on most, if not all, the terrestrial TV channels. I've done stuff on um, loads of different channels, loads of different channels. Mm -hmm. um, I think the transition started in about 2012, 13, 14. I think it was yeah. after I'd proven myself in the poll and then gone in and done something else that they said, actually, he's not just a one-hit wonder maybe there's something yeah. here and um prior to that i'd been on a couple of news programs where you know interviewed on 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 whether it's itv or um channel four channel five news bbc breakfast so it's been building over the last few years and it's only in the last maybe three years or so that it's really starting to take off 
and I've been part of a number of TV shows, whether it's The One Show, um, Breakfast, all these, all these different shows um, I've been on. I still don't feel like I'm famous per se. I'm not a household name. I think it's people rec- see my face and think, oh, I actually, I, I think I know who that guy is. Um, mm. As opposed to, oh, that's that guy, Dwayne Fields, that does so-and-so. Um, so in a way, it's a good yeah. thing because I I get some exposure, but without the, without the, 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 without the fame or the recognition, if that's, if that's the right term. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, that could happen overnight, you know, so you never know. The question is, is that something that you would like or not? It's not something that I've um, worked for or towards. I never planned, oh, I want to be famous. I've never, ever wanted to be famous. I said to you before, I'm I'm an introvert. I'm a shy person. As a kid, I spent most of my time alone. Um, I, and I'm, I'm still that same person. When you see me speaking in front of whether it's a thousand people, a hundred people or a classroom of kids, um, it's all the same. It's really difficult for me to do. People say, oh, yeah. you know, you did it really well. Or, you know, that was, that was good. Well done. Dwayne. You, you know, you look so calm mm-hmm. and comfortable. Um, it's a lot of work to look that calm and comfortable for me. Uh, yeah. So I don't know, maybe that paints a picture of who I am. No, but it's just because we're talking about this yeah. and I wanted to understand because just seeing your full picture, right, mm-hmm. the full journey and exactly, you know, where the transitions took place. Yeah. But also just, I mean, I know that, um, you know, it can happen from one day to the next yeah, where someone becomes famous. And because you are already in the TV world, yeah. you are already on television, yeah. um, then the question I just haven't, I'm glad it happened. It's happening slowly. Um, It's almost time to adjust to every stage of this. Um, You've seen what happens when people are overnight success. Um, They can also become an overnight, I don't want to say failure, but things can change overnight again for them because it's a shock. The lifestyle change is a shock. And then they feel like they need to keep up with these um, they need to keep this picture, this image going. What else can I do? What more can I do? What? And I don't have that pressure on me. Yeah. I've been the architect of everything that I've done in that I've chosen to go here or I've chosen to go there and I've opted to have this TV crew, I've opted to have that group um, or this production company. So I have a lot of freedom uh, because yeah. it's happened slowly and because I've decided and taken my time and had the forethought to say, well, actually, I'm going to do it this way, not that way, or I'm going to approach yeah. this one, not that one. So for me, it's slightly different. I'm not at the mercy. And it's similar to Ed, actually. So Ed went away with a little handheld camera and shot the whole thing himself. Sure, and it in Amazon, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I've forgotten his name, Walking the Nile. He did the same thing. And it gives you a level of freedom when you haven't been created by the media. It gives you freedom to hop in and or opt in and opt out of whatever it is that's on offer. Sure. Yeah, because you're self-created, yeah. not created so, by a bigger, yeah. a bigger so engine yeah. than yourself. So myself isn't dependent on that. Yeah. And just quickly, because we're going to uh, move towards closing yeah, off, sure. we've, <laughs> we've over, overstepped your time, but I know uh, you're in quarantine, right? Still, yeah, yeah, I you? am. I'm, I'm in quarantine. I've got another. <laughs> yeah, I've got, so tomorrow my quarantine actually ends. Okay, cool. And then, but you're still not allowed to say where you are right yeah, now because no, you're so on, film, on location. I'm on, a, I'm on a shoot at the moment and this shoot is very stum. It's very hush-hush. Um, so I yeah. can't make public where I am or what I'm doing or what I'm shooting or um, I'm not sure if I can even tell you who it's for at this point. 
So I'm sorry. That's well, if you're boring. not sure, then then you could maybe tell me. <laughs> <laughs> that's the journalist side of you. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, because I'm not uh, sure. Uh, I think my cautious hat is going on. I'm going to say, um, watch this space. Yeah, no, don't worry. Yeah. I wouldn't push that. No, so um, the the question in this was, you're a father. You told me very briefly, as I said in our five-minute yep. icebreaker we had last week, um, that you, you really just, like, dote over your kids and maybe sometimes too much, you yes. said, like maybe because you – compensating for always being away like um we're not going to go into sort of your fatherhood um experience in great detail but just um knowing now your background obviously with your mom and your dad and now you are a father of three and you have expressed to me how much you adore your kids like what's fatherhood like for you fatherhood is brilliant so i i i do i love my kids they're really good kids they help me out they're always like daddy are you okay oh daddy you need to pull those socks up daddy you can't wear those socks they take care of me <laughs> um i love if i'm sat in a single person chair a one seater chair guaranteed one of them will be so i've got three kids the youngest one's 8 months guaranteed one of the other two will be sitting on my lap leaning on my shoulder holding my ear I just, I, I genuinely love my kids and I feel the love from them too. It's, it's brilliant. I was frightened yeah. to become a father, but um, since, since then, it's, it's just the best thing ever. Beautiful. I can hear it in your it, energy. It, 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 uh, I'm so happy for you with that as well, you know, because of your, you know, because of your, your background and, and just how you've turned your life around um, or I'm not even going to say turned it around. It's you haven't turned it around. It's how it. you've evolved your life. Yeah, and that's such a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's so beautiful. You're 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 an evolutionary oh, as opposed to an you. explorer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually wondering what the Latin definition of ex. Explorer is oh, because it's X, but then plura, yeah. right? So I was just my husband would know this straight away because mm. he studied Latin. But um, oh, God, I'm he's one of those things, smart people. In, nah, yeah, but I'm just curious anyway because yeah. X explorer, and that's how you like to define yourself. Anyway, yeah. look it up after this. I'm curious yeah. what it means. But um, yeah, I mean, Dwayne, wow, super cool to connect with oh, you and you. to. Yeah, to just feel your your life journey. I love it. It's oh, so it's, thank you. It's just and and you really do. You really give off that sense of reachability, yeah. should we say? You know, for I mean, I'm not I'm not someone who's sort of um, like like I know my path in life. If you understand what I mean, but like when you go and you're giving these talks to people and um, you know to kids and um, you just really do give off that sense that, yeah. Jen, you're so sweet. Thanks. No, but that's, it's because it's, I would say passion's contagious, isn't it? Um, And I genuinely am passionate about this selfishly because it's, it's, it's my experiences, my life. um, And it's what I love doing. So I guess because of all those three things, I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. And I think people are just picking up on the fact that I'm enjoying what I'm doing now. Yeah. So, well, maybe the last question, Mm -hmm. but definitely the the question that I had um, is, have you ever come in contact with that guy who pulled the gun, well, actually pulled the trigger at you? And and if you did come across him, like, 
what do you think you would say? Interestingly, I did. Um, and it was a few years after it happened, actually. And I was in a car with my cousin. My cousin actually knows him. Um, so I was in a car with my cousin and my cousin pulls up, beeps the horn. This guy comes over and he's looking through the window. They're talking through the window of the car. And I looked at him. I said, you don't remember me, do you? And he said, no, I don't, you know, cuz. I said, okay. And literally, all I, all I said to him was, do you remember that incident? To sir? And he goes, yeah. He goes, oh, sorry about that. It was a madness. And that's how mm. blasé and flippant it was to him. Wow. Wow. How long ago was that? That would have been about five years ago, maybe five and a half years ago, six. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's how easy it is nowadays. We act mm -hmm. so impulsively um, and we don't realize that in that moment, you're about to change so much of the world, your life and all the potential you have, that life and all the potential it has as well. Um, yeah. And anyone who witnesses it, you're going to make a change there because that that action is a pebble and there's going to be ripples all through that pond. It's nine in the city and I'm on my way back home. Dwayne, so enjoyed going over our conversation again. Yeah, you are a real spark. You're a... You're a light shining in the darkness and I can see how you are changing so many people's lives because you are the it factor. I mean, you're the guy who literally has done it himself and is is showing by example, doing by example, living by example. And I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the show and just sharing your amazing, open-hearted, real and vulnerable journey with, with all of us. I salute you and I thank you so much and... Um, yeah, I look forward to connecting again once you've done some more crazy missions. So guys, it's now that time of the show for me to introduce my next guest. So my next guest on the show, well, he is also in television. His name is Chris Morgan. He is also British and he happens to be living in the States. Um, and I call him the bear man because that's kind of how he was introduced to me. But literally, he's the guy up in the mountains who's... Yeah, you know, hanging out with these big grizzly bears. And um, it's a beautiful story of how he went on the summer camp, you know, to support the youngsters. And he just got so mesmerized and sucked into the world of these bears. And um, yeah, he ended up dedicating his life to it and to conservation and all, all the good that goes around, you know, the love that one has for animals. So, I mean, he has the most amazing voice as well. So it's just like this super soothing, cool voice. He has his own podcast show as well. Anyway, that's Chris Morgan next week. Next week. So come, yeah, come, come have a listen there. And um, again, guys, share the show on with friends. Go check us out on Instagram. Uh, find me there and say hi. Tell me you've just listened to the show. Love connecting with you. I will respond to all of your comments. And subscribe on the website. Once a week, you'll receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. As I said earlier, if you need an interviewer, let me know. And if you want someone to just help you with your own story, then yeah, let me know. And I can dive into your life story and really just help you get some perspective and insight on your own story, which we all need. So guys, as I always say, have an amazing week and see you on the flip side.